Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Richest Men in Town podcast. I'm Mike Freeman, and along with my good friend and co-host, Tyler Gould, we're excited to welcome you to our little podcast project. Tyler and I are just a couple of middle-aged husbands and dads driven to live our best lives. We want to be better every day, so here we'll be sitting down with great people, not famous people, but great people that we admire, to learn their secret to living the rich life. Probably not the rich life you're thinking of. Our guests come in humbled and surprised at the invitation and hopefully leave feeling proud and grateful, realizing just how good they really have it. So pull up a chair, stay a while, and raise a glass with us as we toast our guests to the richest men in town. All right, Tyler Gould, how we doing? Mike Freeman, I'm doing phenomenal because I just got to spend a couple hours with Ralph Collins. So it was a, it's been great, man. I'm, man, I'm, I- I'm riding high. I, I love, I actually felt an energy about this all day leading up into our time with Ralph. Ralph is truly one of my favorite people. He's yeah. one of the most genuine people I, I you and I know. Yeah. Uh, it is fun. It is fun to get together with an old friend. And that's exactly what this was tonight. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he spends a lot of time. One of the things that we talked about tonight was, was truths that we learned from uh, song lyrics, right? Ooh. And it was funny because you and, and no I were having this. That guy, no I was going to say he just went right into it and nailed it, <laughs> and and I think people will enjoy that part of it. But I I love tonight. I mean, I I love Ralph. I mean, he's one of my favorite people. Uh, but he he was making us. He had me laughing hard tonight, man. He's just a funny guy. But like you said, he's deep and he's genuine, and I love all of those things about Ralph Collins. Yeah, and I I, I we don't throw this out a lot let's be real. I mean, we're coming up on, we're coming up, we're, we're getting close to a hundred episodes in. Um, here's a compliment that I, I save for a select few, but Ralph Collins is solid gold. Oh, amen. Yeah. Right. Solid gold and solid gold from the jump. Yeah. Eight, nine years old, faithful in a faith, 10 years old, faithful in uh, truth restored and the ideas and the principles. And then I love the fact that he said, yeah, it made sense and it was logical, but it felt right. Yeah. At 10 years old. Yeah. And just kept building on that throughout it. I mean, till today, right. He's still building on it. Yeah. And yeah. And uh, I, I think that that faith journey is unique. Yeah. Right. And that's what I love about it. Every person we sit down with those answers to that, how did faith become your own? Every to a person it's unique yeah. to a person. It's like a fingerprint. Yeah. And for Ralph Collins, it's beautiful, it's simple, and it's no drama. Yeah. Right? Ralph yeah. lived in drama, and de- and he, looking ahead to the life he wanted to build, get rid of drama. As boring as possible, yeah, he describes it. Yeah, I, I love that. I was just going to say, I love how he <laughs> talks about how he, he's trying to live the most boring life possible, and his sister is she said that she's trying to live the same way i just love that idea and you know what don't let ralph fool you he tells you that he's the most boring guy out there but he he's deep and and i would spend two hours of every day if i could with ralph collins well and ralph and shauna yeah yeah right i mean i think i love i don't know if you caught that but when he said uh you know talking about just that rich life and how it means being crazy in love with your wife. 
Yeah. And hey, let's give a shout out to Louise for letting uh, Shauna and Ralph uh, make that connection because uh, that, that's a good thing right there. So Yeah. Hinge moments galore in this one. And and he calls them out and some we help him call out. But like the idea of uh, a conversation launching into a, uh, a extremely well-respected legal career here in our community. Um, and then even to hear kids following suit and he's, he's living he's living a rich life. Yeah, I it, it, and uh, not a, a person doesn't deserve it more than Ralph Collins, that's for sure. So yeah, and we cover the coast, right? Our story starts in upstate New York, quintessential New England area, Albany, New York, with yeah, the so leaves I, and the snow. Sounded like Bedford Falls to me, you know. It did. It did. <laughs> and then boom, we're in Inglewood. <laughs> yeah, that was a twist, absolutely. <laughs> and TWA and Ricky Nelson. So we'll drop some references in the show notes because we uh, we go back and and uh, we do it right with Ralph Collins, right? Doubt your doubts. Uh, you know, focus. Sometimes we we get in trouble by focusing on the wrong things. A lot of nuggets. Yeah. A lot yeah. of nuggets from the life of Ralph. No, I, I agree, and I just want to point out, you know, as you listen to it, there he's got a lot of a, a lot of deep lessons that he teaches, and he teaches uh, some important truths about the woman at the well. Yeah. That I thought was uh, was very touching. And he sees himself as that, yeah. right? Yeah. He sees himself as that. You know, sometimes we would approach guests, and the guests say, "Oh no, man, I've listened to your show." I'm not polished like your guests. And I just want, I, I, I want to make sure that people understand that we, we may be polished up a little bit, but it's the process. Ralph Collins is polished up. He's living in a, he's living a great life, but he lets us in on his beginnings and they were rough. Yeah. Yeah. But in that friction that we're always talking about, in that process of living through rough experiences, that is what creates the gem that Ralph Collins is. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I know that I loved it. And so that's the test, right? If yeah. you and I are hanging out with a good friend and we love what it is that we're doing with them, we know that it's going to translate into the lives of our listeners. And so nobody is doing it better than Ralph Collins. Ralph, Thank you so much. I know it. I know it was not a comfortable yes. I'll do this and come on the show and talk about my life for two hours, right? And I actually think he thought going in he didn't have two hours worth. Ralph, you're wrong. We could do this, like you said. I could do two hours with Ralph Collins every day. Every day, yeah. So our listeners, you're gonna love. You're gonna love it. To Ralph, to Shauna, to the family. Uh, thank you so much. Um, he is, he's, he's a, he's a Rushmore kind of guy and, uh, we're honored to have the opportunity to spend some time with him to all of our listeners. Thank you so much for the support. Thank you so much for being with us, whether you've been with us from the beginning, whether you're jumping on board to listen to maybe your good friend, Ralph, uh, enjoy this episode of the richest men in town podcast featuring our friend, Ralph Collins. Uh, what's happening what's happening Tyler Gould oh not much man I'm just I'm excited about tonight I'm excited about uh you know we're bringing an all-time classic tonight yeah yeah I'm I'm really excited I mean if people don't know who we're having on the show I don't I, I mean I feel bad you know they should know this guy 
You know, they, they need to know this person. So I don't know if you're, if your missionary kid does this to you, but, uh, because we have a podcast, grace, sister Freeman will sometimes reach out and be like, Hey dad, give me a mini podcast on this subject. Okay. No, my, my uh, son does not do that. So on the commute, I'll just have my phone on, do an audio, a voice memo on the subject, send it off to her. Right. Nice. Well, the subject, interestingly enough, right, is yeah. father figures. Okay. Right. And so obviously <laughs> my growing up was absent of uh, a dad. Yeah. And so that, that got me thinking about father figures. And I'm actually going to throw this out there. Tonight's guest, Ralph Collins, for a guy who grew up without a dad trying to figure out this dad thing. Ralph Collins is a pretty dang good example to follow. No, I would, I would, uh, I would agree with you. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. Yeah, so I got all emotional. I'm kind of blubbering, talking to talking to Grace about all these all these guys that have uh, had a lasting impact impact on my life. Tyler Gould was named as well, and uh, you know, models. So yeah. it was good. And then I threw one back at her. Okay, and what? Which right? was what? So the question was, because she just hit her year mark on her mission. Yeah. What do you know right now that you didn't know a year ago? And have you got the response? No, no, not yet. Okay. Because she's hopefully she's obedient and she's going to wait till P-Day maybe to answer that, I'm assuming. Yeah, I I would imagine that Grace Freeman would do that. (laughs) If I I had to guess. Uh, I, I like both of those questions those are yeah i think it gets into that uh it gets into the conversation we had last week the two of us right like these these secrets of adulthood or these things that we know yeah i i i love that conversation i i mean you know the father figure thing is is an interesting conversation Yeah, yeah and uh i think everybody's got you know i think if everyone dug a little deep they'd they'd uh they've got a list you know and that's yeah. the thing i mean it's kind of it kind of shapes up to be like a like a canton like a hall of fame kind of yeah absolutely you know yeah let's run a little paul chamley a little casey johnson a little frank adelman a little tyler gould my 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 boys right quinn toby gavin just friends trying to learn yeah. from them and kent wiseman and yeah. doug mcmullen and you know mission presidents yeah start to start to put together quite a collection though i think that you know look this whole this whole project is about the people that that intersect our lives and and have an impact on our lives you know and and i I don't think uh i I don't think father figures are any different right i mean it's it's the same formula it's people if anything life and if anything, props to Grace for getting me stirred up, right? It's kind of nice in yeah. the middle of the day where you're driving around and you're 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 in your feelings. You know? Yeah. I like <laughs> fighting it, back some tears. It's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Right? Sure. Good day, right? Good day. Laugh, think, move that's to it. tears. Yeah. To that's, it, that's a good uh that is a good day. So yeah. I, I love it, man. And then you sent me a text asking about uh a song lyric that teaches truth. Ooh, yeah. I'm curious, 
where your mind is when you send that text. So here's where we're at, right? Here's where we're yeah. at. I got a whisper. Okay. Uh, we got a little situation in the Reading Stake of the Church okay. of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints where okay. uh, we're down a seminary teacher, mm. right? Well, I'm over seminary in the stake presidency, and so I've uh, taken it upon myself to intervene as a substitute. Okay. And no one but the kids knows that. Kelly knows that. Uh, Kelly doesn't know that I, I love it as much as I do, and I might not give it up. <laughs> <laughs> so this morning, I'm hanging out with some kids, and we're talking about, we're talking about the Holy Ghost. Yeah, right? yeah. And how he testifies of truth. Okay. And we're trying to go with that. The prophet's admonition on Sunday, President Russell M. Nelson shared a message with California saints. Which I was that, hoping uh, was going to be get the heck out of Dodge. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, what? It was like, buckle down. Buckle down. Right. Wow. Buckle down. And so for folks outside of California, we'll give you a little preview. He gave us three invitations. Seek truth, make and keep covenants, gather Israel. And I, there was a fourth one in there and it was buy real estate in Utah and drive the prices up. <laughs> I think that was the other one. <laughs> so we, uh, we've been, uh, we've been hit, touching on those things and as it relates to old Testament and things, but that seeking truth, we got into what it means to seek. And there's a parable in the new Testament where the woman's looking for a piece of silver, right? And she yeah. tears her house apart, turns on, you know, it doesn't turn on, lights a candle, turns the house upside down looking for the piece of silver. When she finds the piece of silver, she rejoices with her neighbors, right? Rejoices with her friends. And so we talked about how seeking truth is not a passive thing, right? Right. It's, it's a, it's a quest. It's an eyes to see kind of thing. And then we talked about sources of truth and obviously scriptures, words of prophets, but I, I shared a thought or two that I find truth in sometimes interesting places yeah and they were like what are you talking about and i was like song lyrics and they're like hmm give me an example and so that's why i threw my question out to you because okay i know for a fact that red hot chili peppers can't stop the closing line of that song this life is more than just a read through yeah i like it that's a truth yeah Van Halen, right now is your tomorrow. Right now means everything. Now right? you were you were kind of did you did you quote anything in the last five years <laughs> to, to, to these <laughs> No, but to these kids' credit, <laughs> yeah, they were with me on the artists that I was dropping because Even I think it was Van so Halen? old. I okay. think it was so old, right? It was like the oldies cool. goodie station. Now that it's, I think it's cool. There's yeah, that, yeah, right? Where the yeah. 2000s aren't cool. But like when I was in high school, Journey was cool, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Because it was long enough ago where now it's like, oh, yeah, those are cool. My, my parents talk about those things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I like it, man. And then you go regulator on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I just, I felt like uh, there's some truth in those lyrics somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't fully relate to the lyrics, but I I, feel I read like your text true. and I was like, uh, great lyric, but I don't know if he understood the assignment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that was good. I like it. Yeah. I know I, I'm with you on that. I, I actually I'm a I'm a music fan. I love music. So I listen to 
lots of music. Um, and well, you shared one with me. You shared one with me. What did I share? By degrees. Yeah. Isn't there a lyric or something about Amalekia and like the idea of coming down by degrees or something? I don't know. Maybe we'll edit that out. Yeah, know. we'll probably have to edit that one out. But that's uh, <laughs> Alma 47, I think, is where we're talking about, right? So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just, I love music. And I think that there's, like, a lot of times, if I'm, like, if I'm in a frame of mind where I'm contemplative about things and I have music on, it doesn't necessarily have to be sacred music. It could be anything, right? I, I can, it, it can put me in a place where... Um, it connects me with things, you know, and uh, yeah, like so, nothing yeah, I, like like very few things do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm a, I mean, in fact, I was just listening the other day. I was listening to some music by a band called The Interrupters. Okay, and I was telling Ricky, I was like, this song right here, I want to do a fireside about this song. Like I just, I, I, I want. I, in my mind, I already have it all built out. I know what it is. <laughs> I want to do it, but I want to play the song for the fireside and then talk about it. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. So. We find truth. We find truth. If we're seeking the world's your teacher, right? Yeah. Well, then yeah. you text you, you text me about these secrets to a rich and fulfilling life. Right. Yeah. But check this out. The context couldn't have been more perfect. I get your text. I'm trying to ignore your text because I'm on a date with my wife, but I know it is leading up to our time together on Richest Man in Town. So I'm like, and in all fairness, I was responding to your text. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not very, I'm not doing very good at being present on my date. Right. But then the on my date, the subject of the seminary comes up. Yeah. And she's just like, okay, what is what's going on? Like, what does this look like? Right. You're busy. And I'm like, well, I'm helping someone out. And they're like, you know, she's like, why are you helping that person out? That person can that person can cover the class. You got this. I'm like, I'm helping them out. I love it. And, you know, and, and, and the person's busy. And she's like, you mean to tell me they looked at you and said, I'm busy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's waiting uh... that. I might also be busy. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that you might. Guess what I did, Tyler Gould. More busy. Yeah, what'd you do? Guess what I did? With your text burning in my brain, Mm -hmm. I leaned forward and said, hey, Kelly, what if I told you that the load I carry is one of my secrets? Yeah, I totally To a rich and fulfilling life. Yeah. I agree with you 100%, Mike. And, it's and the look, load. Um, no, I, I think that I, I like so I that. Would, I, would, I would submit that. Yeah. One of the secrets is the load. Yeah. Kind of going I, to that, that guy who's, who's in the woods cutting trees and gets stuck in the snow, and he's like, well, I'm already here. I might as well load up my truck. Loads up the truck. The load gives him traction, gets unstuck. Yeah, you know, I, 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 the reason I, I sent you that text, I, I, had a, I was having a conversation yesterday, as a matter of fact, with somebody who I've had a, a conversation with them multiple times. And every time I talk to them, they tell me the same story of why uh, they feel slighted in life. Right. And uh, 
and I and I asked him. I said, "When when are you gonna let that go, and 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 start forgiving some people?" You know, and they said, "Well, you know, I'm I'm working it on my own pace, but these are the choices I've made." And I said, "Hey, those are good choices, but maybe not the best choices, right?" I mean, if that's where we're at. And so I just was thinking, like, you know, after I had, had that conversation, I, I was thinking, gosh, how hard is life is hard, like anyway, but it's even harder when we decide that we're we're gonna hold grudges and we're gonna let that eat us up and sort of let that, you know, the these few moments that we've chosen to be offended sort of be the defining moments of our lives, you know? And and so as I was thinking about my conversation last night when I got off the phone, I just thought, for me, one of the one of the the things of a fulfilling life is the ability to forgive and and the desire to be forgiven. You know, I, I just think that life's so short, and it's so you know, you talk all the time, Mike, about how we you know we we march around like we have infinite tomorrows. You know, and and the the reality is we don't. We know we don't. It's finite, and and we have a small number of relationships. And I just feel like, man, what a what a tragedy if 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 we decided to to make the choice to be offended every time someone says something we don't agree with. Yeah. When I think in the context of few limited relationships, why would we throw one away? Right. Why would the we? second that we hold that grudge, the second that we refuse to forgive and stay in this offended mode, you are basically stopping the progress of that relationship and you will never move past that point. That's right. Yeah. And every That's time right. you see that person, that thing will be between you. That's right. Right. And you do that like you've got an infinite number of friends or you've right. got all these relationships. Right. Like I'm going to quote the greatest movie ever. Oh, okay. I'm on the edge of my seat. It's not Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, man. That is the greatest <laughs> movie ever. All right. Well, I submit to you Tombstone. Yeah, it's hokey. No, yeah, there's some good. questionable scenes. But when Doc Holliday's out there defending his friend Wyatt Earp, and people are like, Doc, why are you out here? You're dying, right? Why are you out here? And he's like, Wyatt Earp's my friend. And the guy says, I got a lot of friends. Doc Holliday turns to him and says, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. In the end, you've got a handful of relationships. They're, they're, they're jewels in your life. Yeah. Right? Let's take care of those relationships. They're not cast away. They're not disposable. Let's, right. let's try to collect as many as we can, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the only thing you can control is I'm going to choose to forgive. That's it, right? And if I make a mistake, I'm going to solicit your forgiveness. Yeah, and and I don't want to minimize. Yeah, and I, I don't want to minimize the pain that someone's feeling, right, or the the heartache that's come because of a relationship. But at the end of the day, you know, I I just feel like you know, there's there's so much joy, and I and look, I've I, I can say this from experience. You know, I've been in a position of holding a grudge. And I've been in a position of letting that go. And uh, I, let me tell you the freedom that comes with that, right? Yeah. Where you can well, just, and I think, hey. that you're, I think that your question is fair because it's not an immediate thing, right? Your question, how long, is fair. 
because yeah. it's not like somebody does you wrong and like you've immediately got to forgive. Right. The command is to forgive, figure it out, do the work, right? Because only through grace do are we able to do those things that on paper look like they're impossible to do. And, and we the, all know of amazing experiences and situations where people have forgiven the unforgivable. Yeah. And, and to your point, I think those feelings of anger and mistrust and everything else are valid, right? I mean, those are valid. They're important. I think it's part of the process. It's part right? of the process, right? But I think that at some point, the hope is that we see some value in a relationship that we can say, hey, I can, I can let this thing go and I can move past this. All right. So your text was three. Yeah. What you got? You got another one? <laughs> well, I, you know, for, for me, I think it's, it's loving people, right? It's, it's that idea of relationships, Yeah. you know, forgiveness and, and the ability to love uh, is important. And then I think, you know, also I would add to that as, as the third component is, is being able to, the ability to look outside yourself. Yeah. You know? And and if I could if I could somehow master those three things, I think I'd be a pretty fulfilled guy. But I, I we'd, we'd have to there. cancel. Hey, we'd have to cancel the podcast, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Hey, the selfish yeah. venture of the richest men in town podcast has now been discontinued because Tyler has achieved the rich yes. and fulfilling life. I am. I have arrived. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So one yeah, thing I, I know, one yeah. thing I know is we talk about fear a lot, uh, and I'm gonna. I'm going to put it out there that I believe fear is Satan's last resort. Right before something amazing happens, if I take a if I take a look back on that amazing experience, a lot of times right before something amazing happens, I felt fear. Yeah. And I pushed through that fear. We know fear doesn't come from God, right? That second Timothy verse that we that's one of our go-to, right. it's one of our favorites. Right. But if you think about angels, when angels come and visit, when angels come and visit, first thing they say, because people lose their minds, people freak out, they fall on the ground, right? Whatever. The first thing the angel says, hey, fear not. Yeah. Something amazing is about to happen. Joseph Smith, right before something amazing about to happen, he's racked with this fear. Right. And I think if we applied that to this idea of forgiveness, right? You know, a lot of times we don't forgive because we're afraid that if we put ourselves out there, what are the consequences of that? Right. It blows up in our face that, you know, that, that it's not going to work out like we, we envisioned it. So we say, no, you know what? It's easier to sit back here and say, you know what? I, I I'm not going to put out the effort because that person did me wrong. You know? So, yeah, yeah but I mean, it's almost like if you took out a piece of paper and in that situation, just wrote down the question, what am I afraid of? Yeah. And ponder on that. Right. What am I afraid of? Like what go, let's go to worst case scenario. You're, you're, you're rejected, right? If you, if you've offended someone and you go to, and you go to apologize, they say, I don't know. I don't, I don't forgive you. Yeah. That's on them. Yeah. Right. Well, and it, it's also, you know, part of this too, is as I was having this conversation, it was just this idea of this narrative that's being told, you know, it's like, you know, we've talked on this podcast a lot of times about the story that we that we tell ourselves, you know, and with and very we can, little evidence. Right. And, <laughs> and we can change that at any time. Right. I mean, we, we've we've kind of built these things in that these experiences that happened, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago that were, you know, that happened in, a, in the blink of an eye. And we've built them up to these 
these incredible, insurmountable moments that that are, that are going to hold us back. And and I just feel like man, just if, as I told this person, what if, what if you just change that story? Like, what if the story wasn't about the hurt feelings and the anger, but it was about the relationship that you had with that person before all this stuff came up? Yeah, you know, it'd be a different animal. Well, hey. I don't want to hold back Ralph Collins anymore. Yeah, let's kick the doors open, man. Ralph Collins is chomping at the bit, waiting in the waiting room, and I'm going to let him in. Do it. And I'm going to hit him right away with some crazy questions. I'm excited about uh, about that. <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't seen Ralph Collins in a while. It's been a long time. It's been Ralph Collins, are you with us? How are you guys? <laughs> Ralph, how are you? I am good. How are you guys? Fantastic. Good. Ralph Collins, let me reacquaint you with our good friend Tyler Gould. Do you remember? You recognize this guy? Who are you? Yes. <laughs> the glasses. You know, I'm old, man. <laughs> All of us are, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the richest men in town, Ralph Collins. How are you? I am good. I am good. Thank you for having me. Well, you're probably nervous because you've been in the waiting room for a little bit and you're probably thinking, what in the heck have these guys been talking about and what are they going to throw at me? Yeah, and I thought, well, since you're having such a good time yakking, I would run down the hall and, uh, you know, I would be right back and you probably still wouldn't be on, but (laughs) you caught me. That was a safe bet. (laughs) (laughs) These guys, these guys are blowhards. They're going to talk all night. Uh, yeah, you got to be careful. Uh, you guys are, and I'm, you know, you're interviewing a lawyer, so. <laughs> That's true. Hey, do you have any, be a really long one. <laughs> do you have any cool disclaimers or anything? Like we love, we love interviewing military people and state department people. Cause they always come into the show with some kind of disclaimer, like their views do not represent the United States government. Do you have any cool legal disclaimers that we can do in that quick lawyer voice? I, I think I could say the same thing. My views do not represent those of the U.S. government. <laughs> that would be a true statement. Or Shauna Collins, right? Uh, <laughs> like... yeah. I, I will try my best not to mischaracterize what she would say. <laughs> I love it. What... That's, that's a great disclaimer. Yeah, so uh, we've been a little bit all over the place, Ralph, and and if if you know us, like that's par for the course. So uh, we're looking forward to tonight. We're looking forward to jumping in, connecting with a, with a dear friend, someone that Tyler and I both admire, and thus the invitation to come on the show. Right. So well, and back at you guys, because if it, if I didn't feel that way about you two, I would not be sitting here. <laughs> well, we appreciate that. <laughs> appreciate that. Hopefully, you feel like that when we're done. <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> All right. So uh, here's here's a little bit of the backdrop. So you're jumping in on a moving train, and we've been talking a little bit about. Um, let's let's hit them with the let's hit them with the truth question, Tyler. Okay. You ready for this, Ralph? Hit me. I was subbing in sub in seminary this morning. And we were talking about the prophet's invitation to seek truth. Yeah. And we were, we were getting into that verb seek and talking about how it's an active process. And we talked about sources of truth and where we can find truth. And then Mike Freeman kind of went off the, the rails a little bit and started indicating that other aspects of life can give us truth, not just the Holy Bible or scriptures or prophets. In fact, I even went as far as saying 
I've found truth in song lyrics. Yes. When I throw that out to you right off the cuff, is there any particular song lyric that you listen to at one point and it's like, oh man, that's a true principle? I can give you two, Alex. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I love this. <laughs> Uh, the, the really obvious one that we don't have to talk about a lot is, uh, the cats in the cradle, uh, Harry mm-hmm. Chapin. Oh yeah. That's a very sobering one. And, uh, part of what I guess you may ask is, you know, what my upbringing was like and, uh, it wasn't ideal. And I remember hearing that song and just thinking, I do not want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to be that guy. And I was a member of the church by that point in my life. I joined the church when I was 10. And so not being that guy and applying gospel principles to having a a good home was a big deal to me. Um, The other one that you may not know, uh, there was a guy named Ricky Nelson, who was a popular singer in the 50s. And his family had a TV show, it was Ozzy and Harriet, and he was a child actor in that family. And So he had a bunch of songs that were popular in the 50s. And my mother had one of those albums that we would play every now and then when we were growing up. My sister and I would put it on and listen to it. And when he was past his prime musically in the early 70s, he came out with a song called Garden Party. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you heard that. Yep. That was really helpful to me when I was growing up. Basically, what the song's about is that he and a bunch of other quote unquote has-beens were asked to go to Madison Square Garden and um, do a, you know, nostalgia tour, basically. And he talked about, you know, the other people that were there and, you know, what the experience was like. And he got reacquainted with these old songs that he used to sing. And the, the refrain to the song is basically... Um, it's all right now. I've learned my lesson. Well, you can't please everyone. You got to please yourself. And what the reason for that refrain was, was he wanted to not only sing the old songs, but he wanted to move forward and he wanted to sing new songs uh, as well. And the audience didn't let him or didn't want to let him. And they, he basically finishes the song by saying, you know, if, if all there was, was just singing the old stuff, I'd rather drive a truck. (laughs) and so for me as a teenager dealing with a lot of competing influences uh people that wanted me to do this that and the other thing and trying to please people i finally came to there was the conclusion at least in my life that i really had to please myself and not in a selfish way but you know as long as i was right with god and he was okay with what i was deciding that that really helped me as a teenager to just say, you know what, I can't please all these different competing family members that want me to do this, that, and the other thing. Because if I try to do that, what I found as a teenager was I was miserable and I got a lot of flack from the other people who didn't agree with whatever decision I was making where I was trying to please someone else. And I finally <laughs> decided if I'm going to get flack anyway, might as well follow Ricky's advice and just <laughs> myself. As long as I'm doing, as long as I'm right with God, then that's just going to have to be how it is. And that so, was 
super helpful for me. Yeah. So Ralph, can I ask a question? It really, sure. as you think about it, was that a one and done? We make some decisions that we settle it. It's a settled thing and it makes a, a whole lot of other decisions easy. Or was that something that you had to remind yourself from time to time when you were challenged with, again, competing influences? Because competing influences don't just go away when we leave teenagers, right? They don't. So no, I, I learned my lesson well, just like he said. Uh, once I got the lesson ingrained in me, I, I had it. So I'll yeah. give you that for instance, when I was I always sort of had this feeling since you, you kind of want to know about me and how I got to where I am. I, yeah. I was feeling kind of growing up, maybe it'd be cool to be a lawyer. There were no lawyers in my family. I, I didn't know any lawyers. I, I, you know, to me, this is a God thing is somehow there was something planted in me that just said, you should kind of head in that direction. And so I always kind of toyed with that idea, but that's all it kind of was. I went on my mission thinking, I had talked to so many missionaries before my mission who would be in my ward and they would tell me, you know, I went off on my mission and I thought I was going to be this. And it came to me, you know, the light hit them, whatever it was. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I'll just go on my mission. And by the end of the two years, I'll know what I'm supposed to do, you know, and it'll, uh, it'll come to you. Right. <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> where did you, where did you serve? Uh, New Zealand, Auckland. Okay. So, you know, I got back from that and I had gone, I was young when I started BYU. And so I was a year and a half into school. So I had like, you know, a semester or so of GE left. And then you got to sort of lean into it at that point. And I didn't know what I was going to do. So I went to the testing center and took some of those, uh, what do you want to do with your life tests? Or what are you, what, are, <laughs> what kind of aptitude do you have? Right. Uh, beyond pushing a broom, what else can you <laughs> do in this world to be of service to somebody? And it kept coming up law. I took it a couple different times and I thought, well, that's interesting, you know? So, all right. So what do I do? So I went and talked to the only lawyer I knew. He was the chorister and uh, choir director in our ward. And he was a um, very sharp guy but very kind of to himself. Um, so I didn't know him very well, but he was the only lawyer I knew at all. And he was an administrative law judge in New York state, meaning, you know, if the public utilities commissioner, whoever it was, he was a judge for had cases that had to be heard. He was the judge who was appointed to do those. So I went up to him one day at, uh, after church and just said, brother Vernu, can you tell me you know, this is what I think I'd need to do. I have no clue what I'm even getting into. You know, what would you major in if it were you uh, and you were, you know, starting over? And he said, well, he says I'd either major in math or I'd major in English. And he says, the reason why is that as an attorney, you have to think in a, a logical progression. You have to start somewhere and you have to end up someplace that makes sense and it's step by step or line upon line, however you want to say it. And he said, math makes you do that. And he said, English makes you do that. And I thought, well, I'm not doing math. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I kind of limited it. So I picked English. I told my parents I was going to major in English and my stepfather was an accountant and my mother, you know, it was just difficult. Um, 
And both of them said, what in the world are you doing? You know, you're going to get out of college and you're going to have, you're going to have a liberal arts degree. And what are you going to do with it? <laughs> Which scared me too. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now I knew this was what I was supposed to do. And you so, had Ricky playing in your mind, right? I did. Yeah. So I finally just said, well, this is what I'm doing, you know, and uh, they were going to have to live with it. And I was going to have to live with it. And hopefully I was making the right decision, but I knew if I swapped and, you know, tried to become an accountant like my stepfather, I was going to be miserable. Or if I tried to do something else that I wasn't really wired for, I was going to be miserable. So, you know, you know how it is. You don't know what you're doing. You're fumbling your way through. It's that, you know, seeing through the glass darkly thing. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I took English and it turned out to be, you know, one of those tiny hinges things that you guys talk about, which was, you know, I, so I'll give you an example. I've got a, I go to a class where I'm, we read Frankenstein. And so the classic thing would be the teacher would say, all right, today we're having a, a professor would say, we're having an exam today or a quiz today on it, she, she or he would write some thesis or some question on the board and say, you got 50 minutes, write an essay. So you'd sit down and you'd kind of block out, you know, outline something and then you'd write it. You had, you know, that period of time to do it. So I went to law school and, you know, you'd take a law exam and they'd say, okay, here's this fact pattern. Here's an accident happened or whatever it is. Uh, you've got 50 minutes to write how you should analyze this. And so you sit down and you outline your answer and then you write it. I mean, it was English just in law school. Yeah. Wow. And it was amazing how much that benefited me in getting through law school. And then, you know, I'm a good writer and I'm a good writer because I had a, a fantastic professor and other good professors at BYU who taught me how. Um, and it's been a blessing to me my whole life. So that if that answers your question. Uh, yeah, no, that's a, that's, that. a, that's a great answer. I love, I love that. that. <clears throat> let's uh, let's hit him with another. This is. Uh, we're hoping it becomes routine. We sometimes forget Tyler, but Ralph Collins, what is one thing a man should be able to do? Tyler and I are compiling a list of things a man should be able to do. I think right now we've got ride a horse. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and there's a, and there's a debate about that one. So, yeah. <laughs> So the, the list is, is a budding list. We're just getting started, but we're curious. In your experience as a, as a man, a husband, a father, what is something a man should be able to do? Well, I'm going to give you an unorthodox answer because of my background. And that Those is, are our favorite. Yeah. Enough money so that you can hire people to do the things that you probably have on your list that I should know how to do. <laughs> That's the honest to goodness truth. I didn't grow up with somebody that taught me how to, you know, build walls and fix plumbing and do all of that. But the one lesson I got from my accountant stepfather was if you can make more money than the guy you hire to fix your stuff, you are doing well. That's what you need. <laughs> and I learned that lesson as an adult. I ripped off siding off of our house one year, several years ago. I made less money that year trying to save a buck than if I'd have just stayed at work and worked longer. <laughs> Absolutely. So you go to work and hire somebody. That's my that's my answer in my life. 
You know, I love it. Works for me. You know, Ralph, you might have just killed that question for future episodes because I think yeah. that's the best answer right there. I, I'm sure you will get other good answers. That's, <laughs> that's the only one I have. It beats riding a horse. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I got to hire somebody to ride it for me. That's right. <laughs> well, you know what? We, we're also chit-chatting about... Uh, about some things that make up this actually Tyler used the word secrets. So three secrets, three little known things that make life fulfilling. I'm not going to ask you for three, but when you hear that prompt, pretend you're in English class. What comes, what comes, what comes to mind? Tyler, did you want to, you want to share yours? Go, go for it. Just to prime the pump and give him a little bit of, give him a couple minutes. Yeah. So my, my, you know, I, I was, I was telling Mike, I was having a conversation with someone last night and we were talking about just offense, taking offense to things. And after I got off the phone, off this phone call, I thought, man, one of the things that makes a fulfilling life is the ability to forgive and, uh, and seek forgiveness. And mine was, uh, I was having a conversation and somebody, I was telling my wife that I was doing something because somebody uh, told me that they were too busy to do it. And she looked at me kind of in disbelief, like, how could somebody look at you and say, I'm too busy? And I leaned forward <laughs> and I said to my wife, the load helps me. Can you just let me carry this load because I need the load because the load gives me traction. And she just looked at me like I was crazy, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it is, I, I, I do better when I've got a full plate and I've got a load. So mine's going to be a little bit different um, because I haven't got my full 15 minutes to outline this. <laughs> Uh, I, I found a, a number of years ago that my life went a lot better and I was a lot happier and my wife was a lot happier when I stopped fighting with her. And when I say fighting, I don't mean she and I yell at each other a lot because we don't, but you know, if somebody says, Hey, I think we should do a, and you say, no, I think we should do B just because that's the knee jerk reaction. Um, or you just think differently. Women and men just think differently. And I found that when I started saying yes to my wife a lot more than I did before that, that my life became a lot better in, in, in a lot of ways. I was just a lot happier when I stopped being, you know, sort of a guy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Some of that stuff, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, uh, I mean, I'll give you a story about how different they are is when I was doing the executive secretary stuff. We were transitioning from, we used to do a bishop's dinner and it used to be at a hotel, so it was catered. And the state presidency decided, you know what, we're going to save some money and we're going to start to just kind of do this ourselves. We know how to do this. And they said, all right, Ralph, we want you to set this up. So we had to have it at the stake center. I had to get a speaker. I had to get food. I had to, I had to do the whole, I had to make sure this thing happened. And so they just forgot about it. I did this and I was very proud of myself because I did this in the sense of, you know, 
I got a speaker from Chico. I got um, the table set up. I got place, place settings and people assigned for food. And I had a podium. I, you know, I had it. It was there. And the sisters start walking in, bringing in their crock pots. And they start saying, well, where are the centerpieces? Where are the tablecloths? I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> and it was at that point that I realized how bad I had failed when I thought I had not failed. I don't know if you've ever had any of those experiences. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't even try anymore. <laughs> it's, it's kind of one of those things where you just sort of learn. I've learned anyway. She just thinks differently than I do for a reason. And there, you yeah. know, benefit to that. But it was something that totally blindsided me. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. My life. You're was, right. It's a thought that you, that never occurs to you because you just think different. Exactly. And, you know, when you, I mean, you can get frustrated by the fact that you and your wife just don't see things the same way. Um, and that's true. You don't. You know, we come at it from different perspectives, from our upbringing, from the fact that we're wired genetically differently, all that stuff. But I found that in general, if I stopped being a guy in that sense of the, the worst sense of it, sort of, and tried to be, you know, more of a friend and more of a, you know, there's two, two of us together for a reason. You know, there's a lot of reasons why it's two of us together and one of them is you see things I don't see, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the centerpieces in the tablecloths. I mean, I totally did not see that. Yeah, that's that that could be the answer to uh, what's one thing every guy should should know right there or should be able to <laughs> do is that. Well, okay. I mean, that's a great I, I love that. I mean, I love that. I think it's great. It's funny because I am I, I in at church in my current calling, I serve with my wife. So we serve together. Um, and that's been eye-opening to me because in every other capacity, it's been, I just do these things, right? And I kind of steamroll it and it's, this is the vision. This is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to roll. And right. now I've got her at my side saying, hold on, just take a step back and let me do this. And, uh, and you know what? It's been great. It's been, yeah. it's been fantastic. So I, I appreciate that answer. Don't you find too that, uh, you know, we, there's that classic, you marry up and all that stuff, but, um, don't you find that you feel just really good about watching your wives do stuff? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. That you're actually associated with them. Yeah. I mean, you get the benefit of the cool person that they are. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. I, I, yep. It's, it's a good, it's a good feeling. And, and this is not easy. This is very easy to do in my world is to be smarter than me. But when I walk in and my wife is just, she's the one that everyone is like, whoa, right? Right. That's a, that's a great feeling. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything there's, I don't think there's any better feeling than to be introduced as Kelly's husband. Right. Right. Like that just puts a smile on your face or Grace's dad. Right. I mean, there's just some things that, 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 that fill your heart with some, with good pride. Well, you want people to recognize what you already recognize in your wife, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in your spouse, I think that's, that's important. I think so. And I think that sometimes it helps you remember sometimes. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, 
And Tyler, I'm going to take a chance here and you can mark it and maybe edit it <laughs> and cut this out. But you got three uh, or four of those already tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've only given you four answers. So what does that mean? <laughs> so far to date, Ralph, the only person that's been edited is Mike Freeman. So, uh, but honestly, uh, this weekend I ran into somebody and this person is uh, in a totally different place than I am. And he's picking up pieces of his life. And I, I don't feel, I didn't feel guilty, but I felt like almost like by, by the grace of God, right? Like, and the reason that came loud and clear as I pondered on my place versus this, this brother's place was the person I married. Yeah. You know, and so I I don't know I, you know a blind a blind squirrel finds a nut. Right? <laughs> I'm not sure I'm not Locking. sure how. <laughs> I'm not sure how I got I won the lottery there, but I think all three of us can say that. And what a difference that one decision makes. Yeah. You know, and especially where Ralph, you're in a fun stage with kids and kids having made this, made that commitment. And, you know, Tyler and I are a couple of steps behind you looking at our kids like, oh man, I hope they get the next five, 10 years right and make that right decision because that has made all of the difference. Hey. Me joining the church yeah. and me marrying Kelly Freeman has made all the difference in my life. Hey. I agree with you completely. I, I, that when I look at sort of the pantheon of what has gotten me to where I am in my life, um, what, wherever that is, um, but a good place is um, those two things, joining the church, um, marrying my wife and going on a mission. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, those three things laid a foundation for me that has carried me through the rest of my life. Yeah, well, let's get into this 10 year old joining the church business. Let's, okay. let's, let's go back. If you, I don't know, Ralph, if you're a fan of it's a wonderful life, but yes. obviously the title richest men in town comes from the, the toast at the end. And we'll get to that part, but, uh, the movie starts with a frozen pond, right? Yep. And so let's go back to, let's go back to Ralph Collins growing up, right? Where's home and talk to me about, talk to me about growing up. Sure. I know about frozen ponds. I grew up in upstate New York. Okay. Uh, I had skates growing up. I had a hockey stick. I played peewee hockey one year. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up in upstate New York. I was born down in New York City, but I grew up in Albany primarily, which is about three hours north of New York City. Uh, think like New England, basically yeah. New England. Uh, very pretty, very lush trees turn fantastic colors in the fall and snows like crazy in the winter, <laughs> humid in the summer. I mean, you definitely get your four seasons, uh, never had any forest fires, but there were nights laying in bed without air conditioning with the windows open, praying for a breeze. <laughs> <laughs> My parents did see if this reminds you of anything. My parents got air conditioning as soon as I went off to college. <laughs> now we can get nice stuff right <laughs> uh, that's funny uh, 
Yeah, my parents, when I was little, uh, there there was just kind of a mess. My parents got married. Um, they stayed married for a few years. My sister and I were the result of that. My dad was nice guy, but not around a lot. My mom was kind of volatile, kind of crazy. My dad and mom got divorced. Um, we lived with my grandparents for a number of years. How, uh, how old were you when the divorce happened? Uh, I was about five, five, six, something like okay. that. Um, we were living, for all the years I lived in New York, I actually lived in LA for about a year, year and a half. And that's when they got divorced. We lived down in Inglewood. My dad worked for TWA and my mom worked for TWA. Um, an airline uh, back in the day. And um, so we ended up back in New York. I lived with my grandparents for a while. My mother worked out of town. She worked in New York City and we lived with my grandparents in Albany for a number of years. And so it was sort of like a group project, I guess you could say, raising my sister and I, um, kind of a dysfunctional group, but a group project. <laughs> Um, my grandparents were fantastic, but everything else was sort was very dysfunctional on many levels. Um, my grandparents said, uh, I think that was a super blessing in my life and in my sister's life. Um, they had a really good marriage. They had a fun sense of humor. They were very religious. I went to Catholic school um, from kindergarten through into fifth grade. And, you know, they were they were very Catholic. We were very Catholic. You know, you're uh expected to go to church every week. You were expected to say your prayers every day. My grandmother, I remember her kneeling down next to me, teaching me how to, you know, say that our father and hail Mary and, you know, teaching me to pray. And, um, so it was a really good religious upbringing, um, from that perspective, but, you know, it wasn't all like that, but when we were 10, we kind of got kicked out because my mother, like I said, was kind of a challenge. And so it was my mother and my sister and I living in an apartment and the missionaries came by on Memorial Day knocking on doors and just said, would you like to be closer to your family? And my mother said, yes. And I'd never heard of Mormons in my life. And, you know, three weeks later, I was one. <laughs> were you aware, Ralph, were you aware of the dysfunction as a kid or did it, was it normal? Uh, no, I was pretty aware of it. Um, I remember um, my sister, my mother liked my sister a lot more than she liked me. And my sister will tell you this. <laughs> and I remember a 10 year old, 11 year old, 12 year old saying to my sister, you know, someday when mom's old, you're going to have to take her because I'm not taking her. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can imagine a 10 year old and 11 year old saying that, that, that was I, pretty I, aware. When my stepfather was dating my mother, he was a member of the church and he had his challenges, but he was a pretty good guy overall. Um, he asked me, he says, do you think I should marry your mother? Which is kind of interesting. I was a 12 year old. He asked me that. And I said, if I were you, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and that was going to be detrimental to me because he, he represented a lot of stability that I didn't have. Yeah. Uh, and they did get married and it was, challenging in a number of ways, but also there was a lot of stability with it. We had financial security that we hadn't had before. And mm -hmm. um, so it was, you know, kind of chaotic, uh, not the best. Uh, when I was sort of kind of transition into some of the stuff you're interested in, um, I remember as a, a return missionary dating people and thinking, you know, I, how will I do? You know, if I get married to somebody, when I get married to somebody, 
can I keep it together? Yeah. This. And that was a legitimate worry I had as a 21 year old, 22 year old. Um, just cause I didn't have any good role models other than my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the church was a big deal in that regard. I mean, you learn the principles of how to do the right things and how to be the right person. Um, so anyway, that's, well, it is, it is difficult though. If you don't have those models, right. You know, so, so my daughter just asked me the question about father figures and I didn't, I didn't have a dad growing up. My mom was married four times, right? Number four was amazing. Uh, one, two, and three, you know, not, not so much, but, and you find yourself as a kid looking around for models, good, bad, or ugly. Right. And I think that finding, and funny thing is, is my daughter was asking in the context of growing up and I had to qualify that and say, really not until I joined the church at 19 was I, I mean, I had an amazing grandparents, grandparents, um, great uncles. And then my mom's, uh, my mom's fourth husband was hall of fame, right? Great guy. But that's about when life turned. Cause I, I joined the church. And then as a member of the church, I'm connecting with, with men that I admire. Right. And now I have models, not perfect, but I've got some models. And I think that you can learn the principles, but man, it's great if, if they can be personified in some models that you can follow. I agree. I, I had that same experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I felt like the Lord brought people into my life that could do that for me. You know, nobody taught me how to turn a wrench or how to build a wall, like I said, or any of that type <laughs> yeah. of stuff. But they taught me how to be a, you know, a decent human being, a decent man. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I could look at their marriages and uh, that happened both while I was growing up in New York. And when I grew up, you know, when I moved out here, uh, I had some really excellent role models um, here in Reading uh, that did that same thing for me. Yeah. Are Are your parents still with you? Are they still alive? Um, my stepdad passed away 10 years ago. Um, my mom is still alive back in New York and my, st- and my stepmother and father are in North Carolina. Okay. How do you honor your, your parents today? Uh, what I found is just trying to keep connected with them is, you know, I, my dad's very much not a connection type person. He's a, he's a nice person. He's you, if you sat and chatted with him, you'd really like him. He and his wife, my stepmom are really nice people. Um, but <clears throat> there's kind of a disconnect there. I, and maybe from his childhood and upbringing, Um, but I don't hear from him very often. So I try my best to, you know, contact him, you know, once a month or so, usually via email or something like that, just to kind of do a rundown of here's what everybody's doing and just try to keep that connection going. My mother, I don't keep track of, uh, she's, you know, for me, I think toxic. And so Mm -hmm. I stay away from that one, Mm -hmm. but I try with my dad and my stepmom in those ways. Um, so it's kind of one of those things you, you apparently experience some of that. Yeah. Can you, I don't, I don't want to pry, but can you just talk to me and let me in a little bit on where you became aware of that toxicity? Oh, right? <laughs> oh, okay. There was a early, early on 
kind of along the lines of that dysfunction, you realize, Hey, that, that influence is not good for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and then even more so when my stepdad, my stepdad was the kind of guy who he, he went to school on the GI bill. He, uh, was the only one out of his family who went to college. Um, he was born in 1930. He went to, he had a toothache when he was 17 and he lived with his mom. His mom wasn't married. She had these kids. She was kind of a tough, tough lady. And he said, you know, I have this toothache. I, you know, I think I need to go to the dentist. And she was like, I'm not paying for that. And he says, well, I have a good mind to go in the army. And she said, good idea. And she oh my goodness. helps him back his bag and takes him down and enlists him. <laughs> <laughs> And so he ends up uh, in Guam uh, when they were clearing out the uh, caves from the Japanese soldiers mm-hmm. that were still there after World War II. So he got in just after World War II. And um, right before he was going to get out, Korea started. So he ended up in Korea for a year at the beginning of that. And so when he got back, he had that GI Bill. And so he was able to put himself through school and... Um, you know, did well for himself. Um, so that's why I was saying earlier, we, you know, we ended up with financial stability from that. And, um, you know, he was a good guy. He was just volatile. You know, uh, he was, was kind of one of those, you get some really good stuff and you get some stuff that's not so good, <laughs> but it was better than what I had had before. Yeah. yeah I love him, you know? Um, but, um, he was always, he was tight. Um, he, he, there was always money for what you needed if you needed it. So, you know, if, if the chips were down, the cash register opened up. Um, but if you didn't really need it, then you weren't getting it. So like, for instance, <laughs> we used to fly, be able to fly practically for free on TWA because my mother worked for TWA. And so you would get these passes and you could go wherever you wanted that TWA flew for free. Or you could pay $8 and later they changed it to $20 for a first class seat. And so, you know, we were going someplace, Hawaii or something like that. And um, we had this discussion about that we were flying coach. And I said, well, it's only eight bucks. And uh, he's like, well, we're flying coach. And I said, well, look, I got eight bucks. I want to fly up front. <laughs> he, like forbid me from doing that. And other times when, you know, things were really bad and, you know, I desperately needed money. The guy would come through. He was amazing. Um, so he had a really good heart. He just had, I think, upbringing issues again yeah. of his own that he, he battled with. Um, so what were we talking about? Where was I going well, <laughs> no you're good that was yeah that's that's, good. That, that's that toxicity right yeah uh, yeah so you know it was not in my best interest to tell him not to marry my mother i told him not to marry my mother he did it anyway and they had a very volatile marriage um and just unfortunately so this is where i was going it got to the point where he was the type of person who if you asked him as a kid well how much money do you make you know kids are always curious about that um None of your business. What, you know, anything you would ask him about those things, none of your business, which I get. But as a kid, you're always curious, right? Right. Parents will tell you, you want to know. And um, when this was like 2009, he got really ill. 
And the last few years of his life, he was really ill. He had congestive heart failure and stuff like that. I remember him, you know, I went out on a trip and saw him and uh, he had the kitchen table full of all these financial papers. And he said, I need you to, to take over and be the trustee of my trust now and do all this stuff. And it was just shocking that this was the same person who wouldn't spend the eight bucks and who wouldn't tell me anything about what was going on. And suddenly here was everything. And so for the next three years, I did that for him from 3000 miles away and okay. took care of paying his bills and making sure he got what he needed. But during the course of that, I guess now that I remember where I was going with this, my mother and he fought and he was running out of steam. You know, he just didn't really have the, the will for the fight anymore. And, but she did. And so I ended up almost like a proxy for him trying to protect him from her. And I had three years of that and it was just rough. And so so bad that when we went out for his funeral, my mother saw my wife and said, well, what are you doing here? You know, it was that kind of thing. Mm. And I have not heard from my mom since then. And that's for me a good thing because it was a very bad relationship for my entire life. And so, you know, from that perspective that, you know, I, I should have a relationship with my mother, but I don't. And it's actually better that I don't. Yeah. Um, my parent, my other parents are, you know, just distant, but not toxic. So I try to, you know, going back to answering your question, I try to honor them by keeping a connection there. Um, because I do want to honor them. I know I need to honor them and it's a good thing to do that. Ralph, I'm, I'm wondering if, 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 you know, you go back to that when you 10 years old in an apartment and the missionaries knock on the door is, is mom embrace that message? Is she, is, how does, how does the reception of that it, at that time? She did. Okay. She did. I think I, as I've kind of thought about it over the years, I think that it's a, um, sort of a, um, you, you get into the habit of going to church, you go into the habit of doing these things, but I don't know that it's necessarily a thing that takes you to the next level where you go, maybe I need to be a little introspective about, right. You know, what's going on in my life. I, I don't think that that's ever really gotten there. It, it is interesting though, that, you know, the missionaries knock on the door, the, you know, the status of your relationship with your mom, it's, it's volatile, but, but you look now and you say, gosh, some of the most trans- transformative things for me was joining the church and serving a mission and I sometimes think like it's, it's sort of a miracle, right? I mean, you have that situation and your mom opens the door and says, yeah, you know, I'll listen to that. And that ends up being a thing that's, that's uh, a big part of who you are today. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. It's, it's why I'm where I am. And yeah, you know, really, uh, it helped me avoid, you know, so many, uh, disasters because, you know, with the, the upbringing you have when you're going through that kind of stuff, there's all kinds of different paths you can go down that will mess you up in a big way. Mm-hmm. And um, Because of the church, I mean, getting it at 10 years old, have, after having been an active Catholic and then, you know, transitioning to being an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um you know, getting that guidance in that direction, the, you know, the principles to live by and the stories and seeing 
So it's a little bit like social work, I guess. Um, yeah. That's that it's like a case study when, when it's not your life, you can, you know, missions were like this too, is you got to see people and how their lives were going and you, you know, go to your mission and think about it. Every day you knocked on people's doors and you met people and you got to see the results of a lot of decisions. Yeah. You got to know them and it didn't take, and, and I think that's one of the real benefits of a mission beyond many other benefits that you have young men and young women who get to see that and it can't help but leave an impression on you by the time you get to the end of your mission that if I do this, my life is going to turn out like this, at least peaceful and, you know, in a good place. And if I do this, my life is going to be chaotic. My life is going to be painful. Uh, you know, I mean, you learn those things, I think, from those, those experiences. So. Yeah. Ralph, could you walk us through that journey of, uh, I think one of the things that we love is the unique uh, faith journey of folks. So from a 10-year-old, when did it become, when did faith become a real, uh, a power in your life? Not not leaning on the, maybe not leaning on the faith of, of grownups in your life, but like when did you realize or was there a moment or was there a process where that faith became something that gave you strength? I think it always did. Um, I, I think probably just a gradual process for me anyway. I remember and just kind of give you an idea of kind of how I came at joining the church as a Catholic kid growing up. I knew that the Catholic church was true. And the reason I knew the Catholic church was true was because Peter was the first bishop essentially of Rome and, or he had those keys on this rock, I will build my church. And then he passed those on to the next one who passed it on to the next one and all the way down. I mean, there was that priesthood line of authority from a Catholic perspective. Um, and so I would, I remember coming out to Long Beach, we would go out to LA every so often when I was growing up during that first 10 years. Um, because like I said, we had lived there for a little while in the when I was about five or six and we had friends there who were very Protestant and um, I would go to vacation Bible school with my friend. And I remember them taking me into the office one day and sitting me down and saying, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And as a Catholic, of course I believed in Jesus Christ. And I said, yes, I did. And, you know, there was like a little mini party that went on that, you know, I believed, in, you know, I was saved. Yeah, right. Especially, <laughs> you know, and yet I knew that they were on the wrong path because the Catholic Church was right. You know, I, you know as an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, I knew that. Um, so I was really, you know, convinced of that. And then when the missionaries came along, the missionaries came and I remember them sitting down in our uh, living room and they had their flip charts and they taught us about Joseph Smith and uh, the restoration of the gospel. And I just couldn't get enough of it. And it just hit me. And it was like, like I said, I mean, three weeks later, my mom and I joined the church. My sister was still seven, so she couldn't be baptized yet, but it was just hit me. It's like, this is it. And never look back. You know, it, I, I just knew from that point on, and of course, you know, your faith grows over time and you have spiritual experiences over time. But I have to tell you, I mean, from that experience, it was like my whole life just changed. 
just wow. like that. Wow. I think that, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I think that obviously that's a gift, right? I mean, to be able to have that, you know, we talked to certain different people and they, they all have different experiences, right? Everyone's faith journey is a little bit different. And some of it is, you know, the, 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 the trial and the error of, 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 of going through that, that walk of faith. But there are those, you know, that, that I think is, that's a gift to just be able to say, Hey, I feel it. I believe it. I'm going to embrace it. I'm just going to move forward with it. And, uh, I yeah. mean, that, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So we get shorted in other areas, but that was a good one for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, well, I, 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 I look at my wife and I, I, I think of that, that gift of a believing heart. Yeah. Right. Like there are folks that it, it is a mind and a heart thing. That's, and that's truth. God's truth is a mind and a heart thing. And some people can't get their minds out of it. And some people <laughs> can't get their heart into it. Right. And so I, I love the, I love the 10 year old Ralph Collins. That's like, yeah, let's do this. Right. I, I'm not, I'm not following somebody. I get it. Peter authority, Joseph Smith authority restored. Where do I sign up? Exactly. Yeah. It was just, it was just for me anyway, it was just sort of amazing. And it's like, it's almost kind of, like a young attorney and logic and right. And just, it made sense. It did make sense. Um, but it was, and you know, you, you like that. You like that about the gospel is it, it really makes sense when you sit down and you think about it, which helps. Um, but for me, it was way more than that. It was that it was right. I just had this overwhelming feeling that this was right. This is the thing I need to do. And I've always had that. Um, fortunately, I, what concerns me, you know, for always and going forward as, you know, the, that you can't, you've got to continue to build on that. You've got mm -hmm. to strengthen that because we're, you know, somehow we all signed up for or got volunteered into this time of the world. And it's a challenging place to be. Yeah, uh, you know the bad is good, good is bad, and all those things we're watching happen, and you know it's it's a difficult time to be here, and if you're not centered, and uh, it's from what they say, it's going to get harder, and so yeah. I feel that even though I have that believing heart, I I know that that's not enough. What yeah. what does that look like, Ralph? That building on it today. Well, it's stuff like, you know, sitting in the kitchen a few minutes ago with my wife and eating dinner and talking about uh, Jacob and Esau, you know, meeting after 20 years apart and, uh, you know, trying our best to, uh, you know, we're, we're not always perfect at come follow me and less than perfect uh, certain stretches of time, but uh we finally got our house redone and we got back in our house. We were doing a remodel and uh, that turns your life upside down. And so we're back into, you know, doing this, you know, at night and it's been a really rewarding thing to be able to sit and uh, talk to your spouse about things that matter. Yeah. You know, it gives you that. It's sort of like if you, if you ever want to look up like dinner topics or something like that on Google, you can come up with some interesting things to throw out there, which are kind of fun. <laughs> come follow me sort of seems like the gospel version of that every night. 
I like that. I like that. Yeah, we've been talking a lot in our house about bowls of pottage. Right. Right. What are those things that we may be tempted to grab onto and cast aside, you know, noble birthrights and in those things that matter most. And and I I think I, I think when we when we do get to that pleasing bar of Jehovah and it's the end, you're gonna see a pile of bowls of pottage. Right, you're going to see a pile of things that people wasted precious life on, you know, chasing vanity, chasing vain things of of not, and and we're all we're all susceptible to those things, and so I love that story of uh, of of Esau and and a very uh, opportunistic Jacob, right. <laughs> He was worried. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For good reason. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about challenges a little bit? Sure. Is there something in your life that you now hold as truth that you know that you learned the hard way, that you learned through challenge? Well, we've already talked about not fighting with my wife and, uh, you know, that 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 made my life better but as far as can i just point out can i just point out i think it's interesting that you saw your mom fight growing up you saw your mom fight and you make an intentional decision that life is easier if i don't fight so yeah so thank you um I had a, my sister lives down in Cameron Park, uh, which is just east of Sacramento, up in the foothills heading towards Tahoe. And um, she and her husband are both members of the church. She just got called to be bishop of his ward down there. And they come up and see us every so often. And she was up probably six, 12 months ago. And we were just sitting talking about kind of where we are with our parents and, you know, all of that stuff that is um, you know, of relevance to us, try, trying to reconstruct and, you know, uh, process and all that stuff. And one of the things that she and I talked about that was really surprising to me was without us ever having talked about it until, like I said, within the last year, we both strove to do the exact same thing. And that was when you asked me to be on this thing, I said, I don't see why you want me because I'm about as boring as they get. Because <laughs> both of us tried to do exactly that. We both tried to live as boring a life as we could. I wanted to stay married to my wife, whoever that turned out to be. But my goal was stay married to whoever this person is. Um, don't move. When I was in seventh grade, I went to five different schools in one year. Hmm. Um, don't, don't fight, like fight, fight, argue, um, uh, you know, all that stuff, keep your kids in the same schools, uh, all those things. And so she and I were talking and she just kind of told me that she says, the reason we never left Cameron park was that I desperately wanted to not do that to my kids. Hmm. And I said, well, that's really interesting because I did the exact same thing as we just planted <laughs> ourselves here. And it was like, I am not moving these kids. I am not doing, you know, so to a certain degree, we definitely did positive things because of the church influence. Um, but we also did the reverse, which was, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. 
yeah. <laughs> you know, literally, I mean, so there was, there was really both when Sean and I met uh, and got to know each other. One of the things I said, you know, ultimately when we were talking about it was, I said, you and I want the same thing. We're just coming at it from different angles. I mean, Shauna's dad and mom were saints. You know, they were really just, um, they were the early um, you know, saints here in this area that helped establish the church here. Um, I mean, they were really good. I mean, her dad was state president. He was a patriarch. I mean, he did, he did all that stuff. He worked for the uh, first presidency before they moved here as a secretary to, I think the prophet, I mean, the, my mother-in-law worked for the first president or worked for the general authorities. They used to come visit here. I mean, these people were, they were like Ozzy and Harriet in, a, in an LDS sense. <laughs> and I came from what I told you about. And both <laughs> of us came together and said, we want, we want the same thing. I want what she had. And she wanted to give her kids what she had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's worked out that way, but it was, you know, her taking a flyer on a kid who, <laughs> I don't know if I would have done it, but I'm thankful she did. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I, I, I think that there's a, there's value obviously in analyzing the examples that you have in your life, whether they're good or bad. Right. And, and, you know, Mike and I were talking about this, this idea of, uh, you know, the, the narrative that we build for our, our life story. And we can change that at any given point. You know, we have the ability to say, Hey, I, this, this was my experience, but that doesn't have to be my reality. That doesn't have to be my, the definition of me, you know? And, and quite frankly, I, I look back on some things in my own life and think, yeah, that was really terrible. And I don't, I don't want to experience that again, but it, where I stand now, I'm grateful for that experience. It, it showed me something that maybe I didn't want or, or didn't want for those people that I love most. Right. So I, I, I think that there's some great, some real value in that ability to be able to, to objectively look at it and go, okay, it was crazy, but now I know what I don't want right. in, a, in a situation. Well, that's a, one of the benefits of the scriptures. Is right. To do every single stupid thing there is in the world to do. You can read about <laughs> other people who did it, in the and how it especially in the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah, especially the exactly Old Testament. right. <laughs> <laughs> especially in that book. Yeah. Anything? Uh, so you're uh, a few years removed from your your missionary days in Auckland, New Zealand. As you think about it, what what do you carry in your heart from those days? Oh, just great friendships. Um, I remember sitting in my car one day thinking about how hard everything was on my mission, which same for you guys, you know, they're just hard. Mm -hmm. And just thinking, you know, anything anybody ever says about their mission when they get back is was the best two years of their life. You know, that's kind of the classic refrain. And I thought, I got to remember that this is probably the hardest two years of my life. Not only did, were there a lot of good things, and fortunately, that's part of how life works, is you tend to remember the better things better. But I remember sitting there and thinking, you got to remember that this was hard and that you did a hard thing for two years, um, but that, you know, I could do hard things. Um, and that that was a real benefit to me to, to learn that. Um that, but, you know, we've had mission reunions. I um, had the feeling I should set one up a few years ago. 
And our mission president is long since dead. And, you know, you don't really, any, nobody has any real authority anymore in a mission sense. And so I got one together and um, we've had, you better, get, you better get your tablecloths and centerpieces. I learned <laughs> I, we did Fool <laughs> <laughs> me once, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll miss the next man, woman thing that I don't know about, but I'll never <laughs> and centerpieces. <laughs> Um, but I just, I just have some really choice friends from, uh, down there that I'm still friends with and that it was wonderful to see them. Um, and that, you know, we're sort of like family, uh, you know, I imagine you feel that way about the people you served with. Um, it's just very rewarding to look back on those, um, those times and the, the things that you did, because like I said, you know, you did hard thing, you did a hard thing, you did hard things. You could do those things. It helped you to grow um, and become the person that you are. Where, yeah, where just, you stand now, Ralph, looking back on that experience, is are, are there still things that you lean into that you learned from your mission? Sure. Um, so I'll give you an example of one thing that was a real turning point for me on my mission. I was, um, when I went on my mission, missions were two years long. When I was out, um, just over a year, they changed them to 18 months and they were doing that because they felt like missions were too expensive and they wanted to try and see if they could compact the experience into 18 months and save people some money overall. Um, because back then, depending on what mission you went to, you, you paid the full freight for it. Right. Um, and so, they changed them to 18 months and I had to decide whether I was going to stay or not. And it, that was really kind of an interesting experience. They gave the mission president the task of going around the mission and interviewing all the missionaries and asking them what they wanted to do. And if you were out uh, over 18 months, you could go home anytime from that day, practically to the end of your 24 months. If you were out 12 to 18 months, you could pick basically any month you wanted to go home after 18 months. And if you were out less than a year, you were on an 18 month mission. Mm. And so I remember standing in the hall, I had to help organize these interviews um, in my area and um, asking people, you know, just chatting them up as they were waiting in line outside the door to go in and see the mission president and saying, well, what are you going to do? And um, they were, I would say probably about 80 or 90% were probably going to stick it out for the two years. And when they would walk out, they were almost 80 to 90% were going home, like almost right away. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was shocking. <laughs> and so our mission went from about 180 to 200 people to about 110 people, like practically overnight. Wow. And um, so we got pushed through the leadership chain really fast. So I went from being a district leader under the pre 18 month mission staff, where I was just sort of on a natural progression and uh, to all of a sudden the, you know, a month or two later, I was a junior zone leader for three weeks in the same zone. And then I was the senior zone leader three weeks later. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, what the heck happened? <laughs> How did I get here? <laughs> what, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> Literally, I'm not kidding. It was like, what are we supposed to do? Mm -hmm. And um, 
as we were out in the Thule's, uh, our mission was mostly centered in Auckland, but I was in the, the zone that was the farthest away from the mission. So that's part of the story is I, I was several hours away from the mission. And so we didn't see people that often from the mission headquarters. And so I had a thing come up where I had sister, a brother and an elderly couple, a senior missionary couple who I really thought highly of and loved who um, worked in the prior area I was in. And then the person who took my place as district leader down there and the somebody had found, I think the district leader found these mem- met, found these people to teach in their own area. And somehow they connected with the senior missionary couple and the senior missionary couple started teaching them. And the district leader was unhappy because he was going to lose out on the baptisms and it was really in their area and they should be the ones teaching them. And I needed to do something about it. And, you know, again, I just barely got to the new chair. And so I thought, I don't know what to do. I don't want to, you know, mess this up. So I called up the mission president and he basically in very stern kind of tone said, you know, Elder Collins, the reason that I'm in Auckland and you're in Rotorua is because I can't be everywhere at the same time and I can't handle all these things. So he says, deal with it. And that was it. Click. (laughs) (laughs) And that was it. And so I did. And so I kind of committed to myself at that point that I was just going to run things down there. And um, if he didn't like it, he could let me know. (laughs) (laughs) And again, I was going to try and do the garden party thing. You know, I was going to try and be right with God. I wasn't going to do anything out of spite or anything like that, but I was going to run it the way I saw that I should run it and the way I felt inspired to run it. And um, if he didn't like it, he could tell me. And he ended up leaving me there for nine months and (laughs) I never, you know, he never told me he didn't like anything I did. <laughs> I think he was just happy that I stopped calling him. <laughs> but so the, I, I would imagine that the, those lessons of, of just kind of taking ownership of that and, 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 you know, running it and diving in bled into life post-mission. Exactly. So that's why I kind of told you the story is that because of that, you know, that's been sort of the way I've run my life is I, you know, I'm trying to, you know, do that garden party thing and, you know, do the thing that I think is right. And that I think God think wants me to do. And just, you know, it, not everybody's going to agree with it. Not everybody's going to understand it, but I, as long as I feel like I'm okay with God, then, then I'm good. Yeah. yeah. One of the, one of the things that uh, I love about the idea of those mission reunions and getting back together is to, is to see people still in the faith, right? That it wasn't just a season of, of, of Ralph Collins on vacation, right? This was discipleship and a foundational experience that you then went and lived and continued to build, uh, to build your faith, to build your family, to build your life on. Um, you mentioned uh, these are crazy times and uh, we, everyone here on the call has probably had experiences where we've seen friends uh, have crises of faith. Ralph, perchance you may land in someone's ear right now that is struggling with a faith that they 
once held as dear and now they're barely hanging on to. What would you say to that person? I think the first thing I would try to say is I think you have to start from a foundation of that you care about them. Um, because if they don't feel that that's true, then anything else you say is not really going to matter, I don't think. Um, I know for me personally, anytime somebody has wanted to um, help me do a course correction, um, if I felt like they loved me, it, it, it caused me to pay more attention, caused me to actually be interested in what they had to say. Um, so, I mean, that would be where I would start. I like um, that Elder Uchtdorf who talked about doubting your doubts, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think sometimes we focus on the wrong things um, and, you know, look, let's focus on the good things, the things that matter. And then I think going back to what you said earlier, um, gospel really makes sense. Yeah. I had a missionary companion who would say to people sometimes something you've heard, but it's true is, you know, even if the gospel weren't true, what better way is there to live? You know, if you, you think about how it protects you from things, how it helps you to be happy how it helps you to help other people be happy, how you're able to, you know, sleep at night, you know, uh, that you have a clear conscience. Um, I mean, all those things are just really super benefits that, you know, in a sense, why would you walk away from that? You know, so if for nothing else, it's a good way to live. But the reason it's a good way to live is because, the savior and our heavenly father provided that as the plan for us to be happy. And, you know, and that's the fruit, right? Yeah. Those feelings are things that we enjoy from doing his will. And as we do his will, we end up gaining a testimony that it's true. Right. But I love, I love what you said, Ralph, about, about, you know, coming from a place of caring Tyler, it makes me think of that family that you were telling me about and you're no longer their bishop, but man, they know you love them. Right. Right. Like, and I think that that in the end, if they know that you're coming from a place of love, you've got a place where now they'll listen. Right. Right. Or if we're in the situation where we need, like you said, that course correction, or we need someone is exercising courage to correct us on something, man, if it's, if it's a, if it's a brother, Right. Or if it's in that, if it's in that spirit of love and, and charity, yeah, it, my heart, my heart's open and I'm listening. If it isn't, <laughs> yeah, it's hard there's to the door. You could out verbally and, uh, you yeah. convinced you're right. And I'll leave convinced I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ralph, you, you've talked a little bit about Shauna and her, her family. Can you talk about how you guys met? Uh, yeah, I was uh, interested in this girl in my French class named Louise. And uh, <laughs> wait a minute, <laughs> she's gonna listen to this, right? Yeah, she knows this. Okay. <laughs> I've been trying to date Louise, and I had actually dated Louise a couple times uh, over the course of several months. And she and I ended up in this French class, coincidentally. Um, and uh, she was assigned by the teacher to put the uh, Halloween party together for the class. 
and I didn't have anything going on the Halloween night or this party night and thought, well, this is a good chance to go, uh, you know, kind of ingratiate myself with Louise some more. So <laughs> I went to the party and somehow ended up there early. My wife, who is super prompt and always early, um, likes to harass me about the fact that I am just on time, usually, if not late. <laughs> and uh, That's I've my style. Better. I've gotten better over the years. <laughs> but um, but uh, I got there early. And so I'm sitting in this classroom waiting for everybody to show up. Louise isn't there. I'm the only person sitting in there. And um, this really pretty brunette comes walking in and uh, who wasn't Louise. And uh, we just started talking and it was that experience of you just connect, you just click, you know, I mean, you, you know, that, that feeling. And um, I, we talked for probably about 10 minutes before Louise and the other people got there. And um, we went to the party and uh, we watched Casablanca as the movie for some reason. And, um, so it's become, you know, our, our, our movie, <laughs> but, uh, I'm sitting on this couch and Louise sits down next to me. And like I said, I've been trying to ingratiate myself with Louise and she's been like standoffish. And so she sits down next to me and puts her head on my shoulder. And I'm thinking, had I not met this other girl, just, you know, <laughs> right, yeah. party started, I'd be in heaven right now. Isn't that how it always works? <laughs> it does. And I'm sitting there thinking, please get your head off my shoulder. <laughs> I like that girl over there. <laughs> so uh, we drove back to the Jesse Knight building at, on the BYU campus where the English classes were. And I dropped off Louise and I just sat and talked to Shauna for like two hours. Um got her phone number, um, forced myself not to call her for two days. Because uh, that's the, you got to play it cool, right? You got to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you cannot call the next day. It's probably some knucklehead advice your roommates are giving you, right? Like, oh, yeah, you got to play it like, you know, you're not that interested. I, I don't know, Mike. Like There's it. something to that. Like, if you're dialing the next morning, no, it's bad news. <laughs> It's bad news. I, I've been around the block enough. Nobody had to tell me. <laughs> I would do it the same way if I were doing it again today. You would. <laughs> I agree with you, Tyler. <laughs> if I call the next morning, she, you know, it, things might not, I might not be talking to you now. I might be yes. totally different. Well, hey, can we play this a little bit? Because this is the thing that I love about a hinge moment, right? Because we do this all the time. I, I love thinking about life like this. Ralph Collins, if you didn't have a conversation with Brother Vernu, can you imagine what life would be like right now? Right. Because I wouldn't have taken English. I wouldn't have been an English major. Mm. Uh, and I would, my wife was an English major and we were taking French because you were required to have an extra major skill, it was called. And it either had to be like math or a language or something yeah. like that. So obviously, you know where I was going was... I'll take a language over math any day. Um, I just find it fascinating, right? And it's not like we believe in this fatalistic, I got to be on this street corner at this time to meet the person. But man, it is interesting how it is orchestrated. If so you don't show up early to that, 
you might be you might be miserably married to a woman named Louise, right? Yeah, Louise was nice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not disparage you know, Louise, you know, all right? <laughs> yeah, I apologize if Louise is out there and, you know. If she ever hears this, there's nothing wrong with Louise. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> In fact, Louise, one of the things I learned from Louise, just to give Louise a little shout out, was she was an opera person. And I was never, a so I never got connected with that ever. And um, she tied me into that. So I uh, always have appreciated that from Louise. Um, but with Shauna, um, one of the interesting things about that is, I don't know if you guys ever have like, you know, premonitions or feelings about things that sort of predispose you to stuff that's coming later. But I always had in my mind, I was looking for a smart brunette. And I, I can't remember when that ever started being a thing in my mind, but that's what I was looking for. And um, so I pretty much predominantly dated brunettes and I, their IQ mattered to me because that was, you know, they, their head couldn't just be for, you know, show. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, she, she was, you know, for me anyway, I, I've kind of learned over the years, she was the right person for me, but going back to your, your, comment um she and i compared class classes the following semester because by then we were dating and um we had like i don't know three classes together the following semester that we had already signed up for incidentally and so when you talk about that fatalistic thing i i don't necessarily believe in that either but i believe that the lord causes things to happen so that I hadn't met her at that party. I probably would not have gotten anywhere with Louise and I probably would have, you know, Yeah, that's Tyler's doctrine of, uh, that's Tyler's doctrine of multiple on-ramps. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. I think this was the freeway I was supposed to be on personally based on my inspiration over the years, but there were multiple ways to get on that freeway and yeah. I might have missed one or two. I don't know. Sure. I, yeah. Uh, before that, but that I'm not aware of. Maybe I didn't go to the cougar eat one day when I should have. <laughs> yeah. I'd have met her then. <laughs> but I love I love that thought, right? He loves us. And I think of uh Tyler way back. Uh so uh, Dave Specht, right? If it's important to us, it's important to him. Right. Right. As 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 we have these things that matter to us. God takes interest in those things. And, yeah. uh, you know, yours just happened to be brunettes. <laughs> I hated a redhead once, but I knew it couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys, you guys start dating. How long have you guys been married now? Uh, we've been married uh, 35 years. Okay. Yeah, so we started dating. Um, so another funny story: we you 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 lose your flight flight privileges with these airlines when you hit a certain age. And so for TWA, it was when you turn, I think it was twenty three. And um, so my last flight I could fly out was the end of the year that year that I had just met Shauna. So we had dated for a couple months, 
I flew out here to San Francisco. She drove down to San Francisco and picked me up and brought me up here to this house. And, um, you know, we got here in the middle of the night because my flight to the house you live in. Yes. Her parents built this house. Wow. Um, and, uh, she, in fact, the room I'm in was her room. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, so I, I get here in the middle of the night. Um, she actually, I slept in here. She slept like out in the family room and I slept in here in her room and the door shut and I wake up the next day and I can smell breakfast. And I thought, well, I got to go out sometime. You know, <laughs> I met any of these people. Um, and so I go walking out thinking Sean will be out in the kitchen and she can introduce me to everybody. And Sean is taking a shower. So, uh, you know, I got to meet these people by myself and they were very nice. <laughs> that took me in. Um, but then, you know, I'd been here a couple of days and her grandfather used to come from, there's a little town called Meadow in central Utah, where Shauna's mom was from. And her dad would come here in the winter and spend winters in California after his wife passed away. And he was like older than dirt. I, he was, had to be in his mid nineties and um, very nice guy. And he was staying in the master bedroom. Uh, Hope and Al would uh, give him that bedroom when he was here. And um, he just says to me one day, he says, come follow me. He says, I, I want to talk to you. And so I start following him and Shauna's mom, you know, sees us walking down the hallway together and she says, what are you guys doing? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> so he just <laughs> follow him. And uh, so she starts following behind me, you know, I, she doesn't know me either, you know, so here's this wild card in the middle of her and her father. And uh, we get to the bedroom and he pulls out a checkbook and he says, I noticed that you've been wearing jeans every day. And I said, yeah. And um, he said, I want to buy you a pair of pants. And I said, I'm good. <laughs> I said, don't worry. I said, I, I, I don't need any pants. He says, no, 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 no. I want to buy you a pair of pants. He says, you need to have a nice pair of pants. And at that point I look at my wife's mother and she just starts laughing and she turns around and walks out and leaves me there. <laughs> so I had to talk to her grandfather and talk him out of it. And finally, I just came up with the idea of saying, why don't you talk to Shauna about it? And whatever you two decide is fine with me. <laughs> he was good with that. And then we never heard about it again, thankfully. <laughs> but from his generation, you know, you only wore jeans if you were going out and working in the fields, you know, and my generation, you wore Levi's because they were comfortable and they were cool. Yeah. Right. You know? Oh no, we've had people on the show, Southern gentlemen, no jeans. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you bring so I, would, I just, I just like the vision, the idea of uh, if that whole thing played out and you had to go buy a pair of pants with this guy and right? that's, that's amazing. <laughs> I love it. So the last thing he says to me, when I said, you should talk to Shauna and whatever you guys decide is fine. He leans forward and looks in my eye and says, that's Shauna. She doesn't always pay the cheapest for things but she gets good value for her money. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and I told Sean of that later. And I said, you got to really like it when your grandfather is trying to sell you to me, you know, <laughs> trying, trying to point out that you, you know, you have a lot of good qualities and here's one of them. <laughs> I've always really appreciated that about him. And someday I've got to tell him when I meet him again, you weren't kidding. You you didn't uh, undersell her at all. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. I can't wait. Honestly, I can't wait till I can talk like that. Right. <laughs> Where you can just say it. Eyeball to eyeball with some nervous young man and be like, let me tell you, let me tell you what you're getting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm going to, I'm going to pull that. I'm going to pull that Tyler. We can try these, right? We can try these tricks of like, Hey, uh, junior, let's go have a talk. I'm noticing you're wearing jeans. <laughs> <laughs> Here, here's a, here's a check. Bedroom, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna pull out my checkbook. I don't even know where I have a checkbook. I'm gonna be like, Junior, go down to uh, uh, you know Montgomery Wards. All right, this whole this whole premise of your conversation is no one's connecting with it right now. You're talking about checkbooks. You're talking about Montgomery Wards. Right. <laughs> what else That's the fun, right? That's the fun of it. Well, the other thing he said to me that was funny when he, I was objecting and trying to get him to stop saying he was going to buy me a pair of pants was he says, I'm good for it. He says, let me show you my register. I've got <laughs> I just uh, read out it yesterday. We're good. Yeah, right? <laughs> Oh, that's too funny. They used to teach that in school, like balancing checkbooks and things. Oh, yeah. He, mm. he had it down. <laughs> <laughs> he was good for a pair of pants. I do love I do love the idea of of you meeting him someday. Oh, yeah. You know, and I think I think about people in my wife's life and I think of I wonder how they I wonder they how they feel about how I'm doing with her. You know, and I think that that's a cool notion that they're still aware of us and they're still involved and, and concerned about. Have you ever read the article, uh, the cheering section? No. No. Back and look in the new era, back in the 70s, there's an article called the cheering section. And it basically is that idea. It's that there are people on the other side of the veil who are rooting for us, who are, you know, on the other side, watching what we're doing and praying for us and, and rooting for us. It's a, it's a neat concept. I, I, I that. believe that that's true. Yeah, that, that, that warms my heart, honestly. Right. I think that, well, number one, I could use it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think that they are, they're looking at our times and it's never been easy. Gordon B. Hinckley taught that, right? The right. notion that it was easier back in the 1800s or the 14, it's never been easy. The test is always the test, but uh, man, the idea of of having a cheering section of loved ones that we know and that know people that we love, right? Yeah, I I I love that. I love that thought. Hey, Ralph, what what gives you hope today? I I I, I just am kind of an optimistic person. I I think in general, you know, I'm obviously concerned about the things that we're heading into further and further in, in this world, but um, we know how it turns out in the end. Um, I'm grateful and optimistic about, you know, the Lord telling us that he'll help us get through all of that. Um, part of what gives me hope is the woman at the well. Um, 
you know, when you think about that story, I mean, the Savior was pointedly trying to teach the, the tribe of Judah, and he goes out of his way to go to Samaria to talk to a Samaritan who would, you know, was not someone that was highly favored in that Jewish society. And then he talks to a woman, no less. And then he talks to a woman who's not married and living with someone and bears his testimony to her that he's the savior. So he went out of his way to what you would call the least among us, I would think at that time Mm -hmm. to do that, that he cared enough about her. Um, And you can tell that, you know, she understood enough about who he, not who he was before he said it, but that she believed in the fact there'd be a Messiah. And then he bore his testimony to her that, yeah, I am he, I am that person that he would go to that least person. And I think about that for all of us, because there are times when I feel like I'm that person, you know, and I need that help. And I need to know that, um, you know, the Lord will still reach out and and help me find my way along this path. Um, So that gives me hope uh, also. I know those those are things that kind of occur to me. So sharing that. Talk to us a little bit about uh, talk to us a little bit about your kids and and what you hope uh, they're they're learning from you these days. Uh, well, I'm uh, very proud of my kids. Um, Ian is uh, you know now working. Uh, he's off my payroll and on somebody else's payroll. <laughs> so that's a good thing. Um, as a as a lawyer. As a lawyer, he's working in the public defender's office and um, doing good work there. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't be prouder of him. Um, His sister, Hope, uh, just graduated from BYU last year, took the California bar, passed it the first time, and um, just got sworn in as an attorney in January. And um, so this is one of those... um, I think, you know, one of your questions was, when did you really feel rich in your life? This is yeah. one of the moments is, you know, Hope had her swearing in on, I don't know, January 7th, I think it was. We went up to a courtroom in the courthouse where Shauna's dad used to be a court reporter mm-hmm. uh, and uh, where Ian had also been sworn in as an attorney a few years before that. And the judge who swore in Hopi is a judge that I've known for a long time and who also knows Ian. And that's kind of, kind of why we asked him to do it is there was a connection with our family. And, um, you know, he asked both Ian and I to come up front and stand in front of everybody. And he talked to Hope and just said, you know, you need to pattern your lives after these two. Hmm. You know, be the kind of lawyer that these two are. And he says, and you'll do just fine. And so when you talk about a moment that makes you feel rich, I mean, that's the kind of thing that, you know, I mean, it's one of the greatest experiences of my life. So those are the kinds of experiences that you live for, right? You know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of challenging stuff we go through, but, you know, if you're fortunate um, that you can have that kind of experience. And I was very fortunate to, you know, just a month or a half, two months ago, had that experience. And I can't tell you what a blessing that was. 
Tyler reminds me of that quote, right? That it's an old rail journey and every once in a while you get a vista. Yeah. Every once in a while you get a moment where it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. This is, this is special. This is why we're doing it. It doesn't rain on you every day. Yeah. But every once in a while, right? Sometimes prayers don't even feel like they leave the ceiling. But every once in a while, something magical happens. And uh, yeah, I love that. I love that rich. that, And I love that question, right? Because we have these moments where it's like right here, right now, this is a rich moment. Right. I mean, you take a picture, take a mental picture. (laughs) All, you know, all the hard work that you put in to raise these kids, you know, since we're on that topic, you know, lots of thankful, lots of um, thankless hours, you know, raising children. Yeah. They're expensive. They're needy. They're difficult. Uh, and they would say that about us. <laughs> you know, in some, at some point, at some points in time, you wonder about the return on investment. You know, like what, what, what am I going to get out of this? You know, and and then you get moments like that. Yeah, you know, and I, you know, I joke about it, but I couldn't have better kids. I really am blessed. Um, uh, I feel so fortunate that coming out of the chaos that I've sort of briefly described for you, um, and to be able to have Shauna and to have these three kids, I just can't believe how blessed I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's... Well, that, that's why you're here, Ralph, with us. I mean, you said at the beginning, you, you joked earlier, what, what do I have to, to bring to the table? And, and, uh, and it's been it's been fun to to just to kind of catch up and and learn from you and um, grateful grateful for that for your life for sure. Well, thank you, uh, thank you for making me come on and do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not off the you're not off the hot seat yet. Well, I do, and I also I just I want to point out we didn't we didn't make you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say it that way. <laughs> I told you when you asked me that if you were just asking me if I wanted to, the answer was no. <laughs> As I love both of you, you good friends, people I hope to hobnob with throughout the eternities. Yeah, uh, I will do this because I want to support you, and I, you know, hopefully some message in here maybe helps somebody else. Yeah, uh, I know it will. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's there's definitely there's definitely some of that. Um, as you <clears throat> as you think about people that you've hobnobbed around, do you have a do you have someone on your personal Mount Rushmore? Yeah, um, I would have to say you know more more so than anyone. Although there are other people there um, that, like we were talking about earlier, there are people the Lord brings into your life. Um, probably the person that's been the most significant to me um, outside of my family um, would be Kent Wiseman. Um, and you both know him, so I don't really have to say anything more than that, but uh, you don't. <laughs> yeah. I, I was fortunate enough to get hired by his law firm and uh, I learned a ton from him and uh, my life is uh, also altered in many, many positive ways because of that. Uh, I love that. I think you find yourself, do you find yourself emulating him in any way? 
any particular characteristic or personality that you've you've tried to take into your own into your own toolbox yeah um yeah i definitely um i remember just here's a simple example but uh there are a lot of other things that kind of tally up to kind of overall change i remember talking to him one time about um I don't know if you remember the duty to God uh, posters that we used to have and you had checked off the boxes and you had to do two of these five. And, you know, there are all these different experiences and you had to do them basically with your parents. And so I remember talking to Kent and one of the things he told me that he did with his children was have PPIs with them regularly. And at the time Ian was dating somebody in high school and, she was a nice girl, but we didn't really want him to be dating somebody in high school. And um, so I just took that to heart and decided I was going to do a PPI with him every week. So that's a personal priesthood interview, right? Correct. Thank you. (laughs) I, uh, I would, this was his room too. I mean, everybody, this was everybody's room. <laughs> so we would come in here and we would look at the poster on the wall and I'd say, okay, what do you, what did you work on last week? And did you accomplish this? Yes. And what do you want to work on next week? And then I would ask him some hard questions after that about how he was doing in his life. And, um, I look him, you know, looking in the eyes again, uh, And every week he had the courage to look me in the eyes and tell me the right things. And they were the right things. And um, I think that helped him get through high school. Okay. And um, that was thankless hours of time that we put in with our kids. Right. Yeah. I'm such a bad dad, Tyler Gould. Well, it's never too late late to change Mike. It's never too late. (laughs) I love that. I I love that. I didn't do it with hope with hope. I took her to San Francisco a lot. She liked to go down and go to art museums. And so that was the approach I took with her is um, with Ian. If you asked Ian how things were, he'd say good. If you asked him questions, he'd give you the shortest possible answer. Because <laughs> he was a, he was a teenage boy. Right. Yeah. We're just wired that way. Yeah. With hope, if you wanted to know how she was doing, you better really want to know because she would tell you. Yeah. Uh, so with her, you know, we would go on these, you know, trips to art museums in, in San Francisco and we kind of got it that way and had a great experience, you know, spending time with her that way too. Um, so I, kids are great. You know, I loved raising our kids. I know Shauna loved raising our kids. Uh, you'll miss it when they're out completely gone. Uh because it's a, it's a great experience. Yeah. It was such a good experience. I've told Shauna, you know, keeping the gospel, uh, and the plan in, in mind of, I want to have more kids with her someday. I, I had such a good time doing this. I want to do it some more in the next world. I mean, it was fun. Yeah. And we haven't gotten to the grandkid part yet. And everybody tells me if they could, do it over and it were possible they'd skip the kid part and go straight to the grand <laughs> i love the kid part so it's like if the kid part was good and the grandkid part's supposed to be better then hey there are good things coming yeah i agree sign me up yeah exactly yeah i'm with you on that looking absolutely. forward to it yep absolutely well <clears throat> ralph collins 
you're on a podcast called the richest men in town and it's patterned after that uh that that holiday classic and here we are christmas is in the rearview mirror and we're still talking about george bailey and and trying to uh, look at the lessons that uh that seemingly ordinary folks right when i reached out to you you thought how can i add to anything and here we have spent two hours <laughs> and tyler and i and everyone that's going to have an opportunity to hear this are going to be richer for it and so we want to thank you for the for the the way you're living right and for the the the, the faith and and all of those things as soon as i told tyler gould that i've got ralph collins on on our on our pad podcast right his face lights up and uh and ralph you bring a lot of joy to a lot of people and we want to thank you for um for everything that you are to our community um i think everyone that tyler and i know love you um and i think that the cool thing about the podcast is you're going to have people throughout the world that don't know you that will love you and love what you stand for and they'll be looking at the challenges in their life and they'll probably maybe even be thinking about some of the things that you taught them so so thank you for that but we can't let you go without asking right so we always wrap up our time together you remember the movie harry bailey comes home george bailey's life is a wreck but he's recommitted he wants to live again and he's he's back facing the challenges that were there when when he right when 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 he wanted to quit uh and as he's recommitted harry bailey walks in and raises the glass to his big brother george and toasts him as the richest man in town Tyler and I love that moment in the movie because it's full of irony because George is not the richest man in town, right? But he's got friends and no man is a failure with friends. Right. Um, so, so for you, Ralph, uh, what does it mean to you to be considered the richest man in town? Well, you know, based on the, the history I've given you in my life, it means having a stable marriage with a woman that I'm crazy in love with and having three great kids who, who want to be associated with us. Um, you know, uh, I thought when our kids went off to school, we wouldn't hear from them that much and we can't get rid of them. You know, they, (laughs) they, uh, hope calls all the time. She called me over lunch today. She talks to her mom. I mean, we, she's in Utah and right now until she comes back to get her job, she get she's getting hired by the public defender's office here, um, as well. But, um, we hear from them all the time. And that to me is sort of that payoff in a sense of the, the time and the effort that I know men like you put in with your families and that I've tried to put in with mine is, you know, there's, there, there's that blessing of it comes back to you, you know, mm-hmm. so that, 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 back to you. that feeling of, you know, you cast it out and it comes back and it's, you know, coming back and we're super blessed to have kids who, who care about us and who we are crazy about. And so to me, that that's kind of it, you know, the, the friends on top of that is you know, like the icing, you know, the cake. <laughs> have those kinds of relationships like you and Tyler have and mm-hmm. things like that. I mean, what a great, you know, it helps you to, to get through those, uh, those times when it's raining, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, 
So for me anyway, it's, it's more family than anything, but um, it's all of those things, you know, it's the accumulation of, I think, living a good life and having it flow back. I love that. Yeah. And I, I just can't let this go, Tyler. We, we love the idea of ordinary normal spaces uh, turned holy or sacred through life experiences. And we're having an interview with you in a bedroom that means so much to your family in a house that your, your wife grew up in and you've raised your family in. And we talk about a courtroom and courtrooms are, are special places. Um, but in that moment with you and your two children, there being with, with your, with, with folks being sworn in, it's almost like in that space, those circumstances, they make ordinary, normal spaces holy. And that's the richness of life. And I love, I love, I love the answer you just shared with, uh, with what makes Ralph Collins, in our opinion, in our humble opinion, but it is our show. So it's the only opinion that matters. <laughs> the only opinion matters. <laughs> it makes Ralph Collins one of you the richest around. Yourself, right? That's right. <laughs> it's a garden party, Ralph. <laughs> We're just living it. That's right. <laughs> uh, but you know what, Ralph? It's been uh, it's been fun. It's been great to to see you. Uh, it's been a long time, and and just grateful for who you are and and how you're living your life and and. Uh, what you mean to both Mike and I, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure tonight. It's been a lot of fun. It's been an honor, Ralph. It's yeah. been an honor to, to, to capture it, put it down forever for your f- family and posterity and sprinkle it out in the world and see if it does some good. So thank you. Well, thank you. I love you guys and appreciate you for all of what you've done for me over the years. And, you know, it's the village takes the village to raise the family. You guys have been influences in my family's life. And I appreciate that as well. So thank you. Yeah. Well, Hey, keep going. Right. And I just got to warn you, we do have a habit of calling back from time to time and checking in. So no caller ID, just, just pick up the phone. (laughs) No questions. I'm walking in the bedroom and there you'll be. (laughs) Wasn't Ralph supposed to be here? That's right. Turned on his camera and left. <laughs> uh, it's been fun. Thanks, Ralph. We appreciate you. Uh, tell everyone. Tell everyone we said hi and and thanks for uh, loaning you to us. All right. Hey, it's good talking with you. Take All care. Right, have have a good night. You too. See you guys. Good idea, Ernie. A toast <laughs> to my big brother George. The richest man in town. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>